Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Today, I have my fabulous friend, Candace Christensen, but I want to celebrate a couple of things here in Mind Your Autistic Brain. Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show has now in 75 countries, and we just hit 20, almost just a freckle away from 26,000 downloads this week, guys. We've onboarded 477 new listeners this week. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You found your people. We, you are not alone. If you are late identified autistic ADHD, you are in the right place, my friend. Here in Mind Your Autistic Brain, everything that we do is about taking us from the burnout chronic cycle loop, that trap that we get stuck in and we don't even know we're in it, and usually from decades of masking to moving and living in our best thriving life every day. My guest today is going to help take us to that next step. My fabulous friend, Candace Christensen, is joining us today. She has hosted the Fabulously Candace podcast, which is the sexiest podcast about neurodivergence, and I swear to you, it truly is. She is also the founder and clinical director of Namaste for Healing in Mill Creek, Utah. Guys, she is just truly a spectacular human. I love talking with her. She lights me up, and today I want to shine a light on her. Guys, stick around. Let's get going. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream, say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Candice, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here today. Hi, friend. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Uh, I love talking with you. <laughs> I love talking with you too. We always have the best conversations. And of course, you and I both love to talk about all things neurodiverse, all things sex, all things relationships. How are we communicating with our partners? How are we communicating and connecting with ourselves? And today we're going to talk all about some things about the neurodistinct female perspective. Because, you know, you and I are both in that phase of life where we are entering yep. perimenopause. <laughs> Absolutely, we are. <laughs> oh, and no one wants to talk about it, Carol Jean. No one wants to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it. Well, I think it's more like everybody wants to talk about it, but nobody yes. feels comfortable or knows how to talk true. about it. That's true. That's true. So yeah. we're just going to break the ice because Candace and I are just sort of like that. Yeah. That's how we roll. Yep, we do. <laughs> we do. We talk about the, the unusual, the strange, the uncomfortable things for most people because we feel it's really in service of all of you guys for us, us to talk about the things that might feel a little uncomfortable because that's part of what this whole community is about. It, it truly, absolutely, especially for those of us that are neurodistinct, right? We're going through so much right now 
late identified, right? And as we get older, it's like our bodies are changing and we're so tuned in. You and I have talked about that. Sometimes we can't identify what is going on with being tuned in or what specific feelings or sensations, but it's happening. And then, you know, if we have issues, health issues, perimenopause for the younger generation, you know, going through starting your period, there's so much going on, especially for females. And no one's talking about it. Like you said, we want to talk about it, but we don't, we don't feel comfortable talking about it. So I love that you and I have a forum to do that. I do too. And you know, there was a post the other day that I saw on Instagram and it really spoke to me. And it was a, a woman who's autistic who said, I have PMDD. Mm. And that's, you know, uh, menstrual post premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Yeah. And I had endometriosis. I had PMDT, PMDD. And I remember going through in my early years, in my twenties in particular, horrific hormonal swings. Yeah. Like massive cramping. I mean, I remember at one point I was in like a sophomore or freshman in college. And I started taking like the lowest prescription dose, like in a half of that of Xanax, because I was just, it was like my body just went to the nth degree of everything. Candice, do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I do. Yeah. I don't, I didn't have PMDD, but I definitely, because of all my sensory issues and not knowing why I was so sensory sensitive, definitely felt like everything was too much at that time. The headaches, the cramping, and then the blood. I mean, let's be honest, like the discomfort and how it just was gross to me and not knowing what to do with it. And I had my dad, Carol Jean, not my mom around. She just wasn't in a healthy place. My dad would, you know, thank goodness he was safe to talk to, but that I think, so having the experience of premenstrual and then being on your period and then having all the sensory overload issues was too much and not knowing at the time that I'm autistic. Right. And like, I was thinking everybody experienced it like uh-huh. that and just did it or handled it better than I Yes. Did. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. And then it was just like, yeah, it, it was a sensory thing. But then for me, it was like this hormonal, emotional barrage. And it would be like, I would get, I would be like crying unconsolably one second. And the next minute I was like raging and I would yes. like want to throw things. Yes. And I felt so out of control yes. and it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I can horrible. relate to that. I can relate to that and not knowing at the time, because I was just young that it was hormones. So being really moody. And then again, on top of it, all the sensory stuff. So it's like hormonal internally, then externally, my body's feeling this way. Yeah. It's so challenging. So the nice thing was I had two children and <laughs> like, it, it, for some reason, the hormones leveled out in my thirties. Yeah. And I, I returned to like some semblance of a normal human for three weeks out of the month, because I only had like one week yes. out of the entire month where I was like a, a fit human. I felt yeah. right. Yeah. Like the other one is like the week before your period, the week yes. of your period. And that's usually yeah. awesome. like, I'll be so tired. Yes. And then like the week after. So it's like, you have three weeks of like 
just dealing with all the stuff. And you like one week where you can feel normal. <laughs> totally. One week is not a lot. <laughs> it's not no, a lot. It's not. If when you look at like the span of your menstrual cycle as a woman, like, and I'm now, I'm 47. I'll be 48 on May the 2nd. And I speculated, you know, late this summer, I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like my hormones are starting to shift a little bit. Like yeah. my periods aren't the same. They're a little yep. different. You know, they're starting, I'm noticing a difference in my cycle. And then two months ago it hit. And when I tell you it hit, it mm. hit like I just ran into a brick wall hit. And it was like, I thought this was supposed to be like this gradual progression. That is not what I have experienced. It was sort of like a little sprinkling here and there. And then wham, hello. Yeah. yeah. And it's oh. like, I am, I'm going through the same sort of sensory yep. challenges yep. that I had in yep. my 20s in my early cycle. And it's like, where the heck did this come totally. from? Like, I thought I was over this. Except the hot flashes, girl. Oh, I used to get cold at night. Oh no, sweaty at night. And luckily it's not, it's not for me right now, totally consistent where it's like, I'm having a hot flush every day, but I do have a call with my naturopath soon just to talk about what we're talking about because I'm feeling it too. Periods are changing lighter. I'm finding I'm moodier again. It feels like premenstrual all over again, <laughs> except now I'm almost 49. So it's like, what's happening to my body? <laughs> and then there's like all the stuff that goes on in your head about it. Right. I know. Cause like, as a woman, it's like, as a girl, it's like, oh, you're a woman when you get your period. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, like your femininity and you're, yeah. you're the source of life and you can give life and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And like, I never really like onboarded all of that, but I still took it on. Right. Sure. And you know, you get curvy and you get all this stuff and you feel more feminine. And now I like, I had to really process through this. I had to coach myself through this when it first started happening a couple months ago, because, you know, my partner, Josh is a lot younger than me. And so it was a really big hit to my ego. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm thinking, am I going to be, I'm going to lose the hormones that make me like supple and, you know, all the yeah. things and that make you, you know, yes, nice in all the right places. Right. Yep. So that you can have comfortable sex. And it's like, I've heard about, you know, women no longer producing the same level of, of moisture content. And it's like, you get dry sex gets uncomfortable. So I'm like, Oh, I don't want to give that up. Cause I like, I love sex. I love sex with yeah. my partner. It's amazing. Yeah. So I had to like coach myself through all of that. I'm like, okay, is this true? Is this real Carol Jean? Are you going to yeah. be less of a woman? Are you going to be less attractive? Are you yeah. going to be less sensual and sexual because you're not having a period anymore? Yeah. I mean, seriously, that I had yeah. that thought in my head, like Which I is was normal. totally feeling that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I th I'm thinking about as you're talking is that, you know, we, we have add-ons as we get older. So you add on more lube, 
you, you know, so that because we are drier and that's normal, just like men are going through as they get older, Chris will be 50 this year and his body's changing. You know, we've got the aches and pains during sex, my hip, I joked with you about, right? (laughs) But so we've got, we use more lube and we add in more toys. So we have more sensation, right? Yeah. And we get more playful maybe, and we add in some fantasy and we do some things to connect, to, to spice it up and make it creative so that we can still enjoy it, even if our body is changing and then we, we communicate with our partner. Right. So yeah, so that we can enjoy those things, but he can't do much for me about my insecurities. I guess he could, I've got to, I've got to work through that, but we're like aging wine, Carol Jean. It's like, we are, we get more and more beautiful and sensual and sexual as we get older, I believe. And some people won't agree with that. Some people will say that's not me. And I honor that. But for me, and I know for you and our own conversations that we are beautiful and we get to embrace that as we near 50. And just because we might vaginally be drier, it doesn't mean that we can't use things to help us um, add on the lube, add on the toys so that we can add on the sensation so that we can really enjoy healthy sex healthy's relative everybody but so that we can enjoy it I love that so much I love that so much and you know that's that's the thing is that as we're changing you know sex is one of the biggest languages of communication that we have in our intimate relationship not just with our partner but with ourselves yep And that's such a big place to start because I had to recognize that due to some trauma in my life Mm. growing up, you know, in my twenties, especially that, that I had started to, I, and had been for a very long time, ignoring my physical body, ignoring my own pleasure, not even knowing how to identify what that was for me because I had, I was afraid of it. I was scared of it. I was scared of myself. I was scared because for me to connect with myself in a pleasurable sexual way was so vulnerable, even alone. That was so vulnerable. And I had felt so vulnerable for so long because of other things, you know, not, not sexual trauma specifically, but just like, just the way the world responded to me up until probably two or three years ago, I never felt beautiful. Oh yeah. No one ever really said to me, I mean, other than my parents, but you know, you kind of take that with a barrel of salt as your parents, right. (laughs) You know, Oh, you're so pretty. Yeah. But you did, you know, but to feel beautiful within yourself and to feel beautiful and naked with all the yeah. stuff, you know, the curves yeah. and the stretch marks and all the things yeah. that's a big one. And yeah. with that though, for the first time in my life, I started to, and recognizing that I had alexithymia about two years ago, that was huge. Yeah, That was huge for me to be able to recognize that all these sensory things, like all the things that had felt so big that I thought certainly other people are experiencing this. They're just handling it better than me, that they didn't experience it. And the fact that I was handling it, navigating it like I did was actually a really big deal. Yeah. 
Well, and just so aware. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's what I, I am constantly talking about, you know, with my one-on-one coaching clients and in our small group coaching for coaching cafe Academy, it's just like, it's just an awareness that you've never had. And it doesn't mean you have to do anything. You don't have to add these things to your to-do list. Just simply having that awareness to something new about yourself or, or just about your perception of the world, just that alone changes it so much. Yeah. That awareness is huge. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about a couple of things that I want to touch on. First trauma is big for so many humans, especially now, um, you know, COVID traumatized all of us and the pandemic and the world shutting down. And before that, each of us has our own trauma for a lot of neurodistinct adults who are late identified. We have trauma from being stigmatized, right? Socially marginalized, bullied, judged. So there's so much of that going on. And then as women and, and men and, and non-binary individuals and trans individuals who are identify as neurodistinct, we go through our own processes um, related to trauma. And so specifically with females, right? It's like, I think there's so much shame about being female. We live in a pornified culture. We live in a culture where everything is photoshopped, tucked, bleached, fake, has to look a certain way. There's a certain size, even though I will say the media has gotten better at, at acknowledging that, that women are of different sizes, right? We're seeing more of that. There still is so much shame attached to, you know, who I am and am I okay, right? So that just on top of, so being female and looking at the media, and then on top of that is I'm autistic, I'm ADHD, I'm different. And the world has told me that over and over and over again. So as much as I love my parents so much, and as much as they've been so kind and telling me I'm beautiful, when I go out into the world, I sure don't feel that way, right? So there's all this internalized shame. And I think sexually, we live in a very sexually oppressed society, a very sexually oppressed culture where sex is very misunderstood and it's really degraded because if we look at it in Eastern philosophy, sex is just very beautiful. It's sacred. It's a very sensual uh, experience of really honoring our bodies, our breath, right? Connecting. There are all these rituals around it, but in Western culture, it's about getting off oftentimes, right? And and for those of us, I'm pansexual. I, I kind of went through my process over the last 20 years of, am I bisexual? I'm, you know, but I'm, I'm choosing to be with a male. I've had experiences with females. Now it's like, if I love you, if I connect with your energy, you could be a purple pumpkin. I don't care. You know, love is love to me. Um, but I happen to be with a male. And in my experiences of the men and women I've been with historically, Carol Jean, they were takers. And I didn't have enough self-esteem or self-confidence to be able to say, I have requests, needs, desires, and wants sexually. You know, I wasn't heard. I wasn't heard, seen, known, and understood with my clothes on, with my clothes off. I was taken advantage of. I mean, we have so many horror stories as as, uh, females, as autistic females, about being manipulated, exploited, taken advantage of sexually and non-sexually. Because we don't, we've been silenced in so many ways, covertly, overtly, and we don't know how to ask for what we want to need. So, wow, it does take a lot of awareness. And it also really takes us, I think, as we get older, having these conversations, 
and having them with people like you and I that are safe to have these conversations with and giving people permission to have those conversations, right? Oh, that's so huge, Candace. It really is. And one of the big things, because, you know, in the autistic population, we tend to be much more fluid in our sexual Mm -hmm. identity. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a process that I've gone through and it's exploring, you know, well, what am, who, and what am I attracted to? What really turns me on? Right. Um, Where do I feel connected? Really was such a big part of that. It was like, I'm like you, I was like, I didn't care if it was a woman or a man, you could be like a purple pumpkin eater. Like you said, (laughs) it's, you know, what is your energy? Mm -hmm. Who is that? You know, what is your Mm -hmm. essence that I connect with that I feel seen and heard and that in, in reciprocity, you feel seen and heard. And I think that it's so often left out of the perception in Western culture that, that there is that soulful self-reciprocity. Yeah. We look at the United States, you know, the, the founding culture that was here was, you know, very Puritan, very strict. You know, uh, Josh and I love Outlander. Like, I read all the books. I absolutely love them. I got him hooked on them. And we've been watching the Outlander series. And this past Sunday, the episode was about Lizzie. And she is in love with both of the twins, the boy twins, and she's pregnant. She doesn't know which one it is because she's had relations and she's talking about how she was connected and she couldn't choose because they were one soul in these two bodies. Right. And Josh and I were talking about this afterward. And I thought, you know, I don't see a problem with that at all. I probably think that you know, this is a fictitious relationship, but this is a reality for a lot of people. And so often we take those societal norms and things that we think we're quote unquote, supposed to be doing it this right way and this wrong way, because there is no right or wrong way, honestly, in my opinion. And somehow you can't have the same love and connection and in relationship with more than one person at the same time or that somehow that's wrong and you shouldn't. And so you have to choose, you know, in our whole experience as, as our soulful selves in this embodiment is that we're connecting to ourselves. We're having these experiences. We are loving other people. And, you know, you mentioned just, we are so, because we're already, our communication styles are different. We, yeah. our communication presentation is different. I mean, the, there's even research and this just killed my soul. And I, I honestly, I just, I was gutted hmm. thinking about this and processing it, but there's research out there that shows that neurotypical people have an unconscious bias against autistics and those who have alternative communication styles outside of the neuromajority. And it doesn't matter how often you're exposed to that person. The neuromajority person still feels uncomfortable and does in, in on an unconscious bias level, doesn't like them. Oh my gosh. You have just done that to me. And the yeah. whole time I'm reading through this, 
I was diving into some research over the summer, putting together some things for, for workforce coaching. And I was like, oh my God. So how do we, how do we navigate that? Because, you know, not just in the workforce, because that's a big deal. And that's sort of one of the areas that, that I, I work in with NeuroDrive, but the other areas, you know, like, how do we do this on a person to person level when we're in mixed neurotype families and somehow, you know, your sibling or your parent is looking at you and they're just like, they may not ever say it, but somehow they're harboring this. You're uncomfortable and I just don't like it. And we're in the world looking to connect looking to be loved, to be seen, to be heard, to be in relationship that's are authentic and, and, and in reciprocity. Yeah. And you wonder why so many of us are sexually repressed. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's a scary world to operate in, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also beautiful places where we find those people who speak our language and who totally. Yeah. Your yeah. Thoughts on that. Oh yeah. Well, you again said so much. So I was taking notes, um, partly as a tactile stim and then it helps me focus too, but also so I can track. Um, one of the notes that I, I wrote down is that for couples, um, finding safe people to be with, to share who we are non-sexually and sexually is important. So, and for couples, I think a big one is finding ways to have pleasure where you can enjoy fantasy. For instance, Chris and I love fantasy. Um, that really works for us. You were talking about the outlander and that's, that's where I took this note down that sure. In our relationship, we went through a phase where we explored and brought in a third and, and just, we both realized that didn't work for us. It was actually causing more conflict for us, non-sexually friction. Someone always is hurt. Someone's always taking sides. Someone always wants more. So we decided, you know, in our relationship that fantasy works best for us, especially since we've been together 11 years this month, that that really is a beautiful and safe way for us to connect sexually. Um, that's an agreement between us that works for us won't work for everybody. Um, another thing you talked about was, gosh, you know, this unconscious bias when there's neurotypical folks, and I am not a fan of the word neurotypical because I'm not a fan of saying typical versus not. Me neither. So I, I like neuromajority. <laughs> yeah, neuromajority or or non-neurodivergent um, is my preference. What I say to people, because we know in the research that a lot of times it's families and friends, medical and mental health professionals that are actually um, extending the bias towards loved ones who are neurodistinct. And so we get to choose our family. We really do. Now, I'm, I feel really blessed. My dad's very loving. My mom has passed. My mom was very loving when she was alive and accepting no matter what and who we are and who we choose to be. But a lot of folks I talk to don't have families that are accepting of their, their autism, they're being neurodistinct. And there is still this stigma around that autism looks a certain way. That is why I did spirit that on LinkedIn. This is what autism looks like, because it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't look a certain way. So we get to choose our family and we get to continue to do, have these conversations to break the bias. We, we just have to. And we do it one step at a time. That's, you know, that's something that's so important. And 
I love how you bring this together. And so I just want to put that out there that no matter how old we are, it is okay to ask your chosen family and chosen friends to vet the person that you want to see or date, especially for women, autistic women, because we do have a lot of trauma. It's okay to ask for support in that way to say, go to coffee with us. Just go to coffee. I want, I want to get your feel about this person because I'm nervous and I want to make a good decision here, but I feel like based on my history, I need some other eyes and ears. I, I think that's okay. I think that's okay to do. Oh, I think that's 100% okay to do. And I love that because, mm-hmm. you know, you bring up something that I think is really important for us from the female autistic mm-hmm. neurodistinct perspective. And that is, you know, I know I've experienced in my life that being very naive in a lot of ways, being very trusting, um, you know, one of the things was like, I ended up married twice because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I wasn't ready yeah. when I got married the first time. Yeah. I hadn't, I had never even lived on my yeah. own. Yeah. I, I didn't even know who I was as a person. You know, and the second marriage was what I thought was survivable because I was in such a horrific burnout. You know, I was coming out of a really horrible divorce from a man I dearly loved, but we didn't know we were both neurodistinct and had no idea how to communicate. Thankfully, we have come back together and repaired our relationship where we are really good parent co-parents and friends now. And that's been huge. But that second marriage, I got my kids, we got in the car and we left with what we could put in the car because it was not a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. And when I met Josh, honestly, I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my own picker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I was like, look, I know myself better now. I know I'm neurodistinct. I know I'm ADHD. I know all these things about me. And I had done a lot of work on myself when I met him. Yep. So it was a totally different thing, but it took, I I still was like, okay, I've already been through two failed marriages. I've already been through two divorces. I don't want to ever go through this again. This was like horrible. And you look at that and you're like, okay, can I even trust myself in this? Mm -hmm. And what was interesting is like, I did the opposite where before I was, I was looking for everybody else's opinion to make Mm. a decision about a mate this time. And I never asked myself, I never checked in with myself on this one. I didn't say a word to anybody. I didn't ask anybody's opinion. I didn't want it. I had to figure out what my feelings were. Yeah. And that was a really big one. Yeah. Cause you have That's to awesome. go through a, am I just mm-hmm. seeing something or am I, I'm seeing something I want to see, or am I seeing reality here? Yeah. And boy, that opened up a whole other layer to me. And I would love to hear a little bit because, you know, fantasy is a big part of our life as oh, you know, yeah. relationship yeah. as well. And what's interesting. And I love this. And I think I heard this I can't remember. I think it was Stormy that said this. Oh, good. I think think it was Stormy that said this. It was like fantasy is just 
what turns you on? What, what sparks your brain? Cause we connect sexually in our brains before we set, you know, connect sexually yeah. in our bodies, honestly, yes. especially as women. Yes. And fantasy is just like, yeah. it's just that it's a fantasy and it's, does it, it's the understanding that you and your partner have that we are simply sharing fantasies. And this is nothing that we ever have to actually act on. Exactly. Yeah. Again, so many awesome points. So I tend to be more impulsive in making decisions about people. And so um, I just am really open. And so I love that you said for you, you have had to really listen to yourself because you were asking. I, I wouldn't, I would just feel good about a person that I would jump in and I would have sex way too soon. And then I would find that I was scared and lost and confused and, but in it and in it too long. So I love that. So for those listeners, it can go both ways, right? Where we might need to ask, but we also need to trust ourselves too and, and learn that. Um, I also want to say just when you were talking about the trauma, you know, I've been married previously and then Chris twice. So we came in our relationship with trauma as well want our relationship to work. We work very hard at our relationship every single day. And non-sexually, we had to work through our own stuff. And that was through our own therapy because the non-sexual will always move into the sexual realm. So what's happened to us all non-sexually shame, embarrassment, humiliation actually will move into the sexual realm where we will play some of that out at times. Okay. And that can also affect our arousal template. Um, and if folks want more information on that, feel free to email me, happy to talk about it. But in terms of fantasy, fantasy can scare people. And I've heard a lot of folks in recovery when there's been betrayal trauma, for instance, where the person that's been acting out sexually will say, I don't, I don't even dare to ask to have fantasy play because I'm, my partner's been so betrayed by my actions that, oh my gosh, I, you know, and then the partner's like, yeah, what if the fantasy that they're having is about like totally feeds into their acting out cycle, right? So outside of that, if you're listening and you've got betrayal trauma and you're in recovery from sex, porn, addiction, infidelity, I'm going to just put that on the shelf for now. And I'm going to talk to folks that don't have that going on, because I really think that if you are in a very safe, healthy, trusting relationship with your partner, where you can have open conversations about sex, intimacy, sexuality, sexual wants, needs, and desires, Fantasy is really a beautiful way to keep things sparked up, to keep things alive. You know, as humans, as Esther Perel says, we crave spontaneity. Well, we crave actually stability and consistency. And so then, and predictability. So we find this partner and then, you know, after so long of being together, we've got this one partner and as sexual beings, we need creativity. And so fantasy really allows for that mystery and that spontaneity and that, that way to really reconnect with your partner where you're both in the fantasy, you know, and it can, it, it can actually enhance intimacy because it's between the two of you. No one else gets to have that. It also can really increase our arousal and our feeling, our physiological sensation of arousal in our body and really make the whole experience, not just orgasm, quite magnificent. And it can also really extend the, the fireworks experience in our bodies when we allow ourselves to have fantasy play. So I really like fantasy. You know, we're nearing 50 and Chris and I really like fantasy. We know that we're not going to cross over into real life with it, 
but we do know that that's a beautiful, safe way for us to connect. And it doesn't take us away from each other. It brings us closer. But that's us. That may not be for the some of the listeners. I love that so much, Candace, because, you know, that's one of the conversations that Josh and I have had. And it's and that was one of the things that we had to learn how to communicate in that fantasy as mm-hmm. well. It's like mm-hmm. we had to share, you know, hey, this is this is something that I'm really just on an intellectual level, on a fantasy level, this really sparks me, right? And we had to have the conversation and, and ask and kind of check with each other. It's like, okay, is this something that strictly is a fantasy thing? Is this something that you might entertain in reality? Like you would want to try this? And we have that open conversation. And that's a really big part of it because that was sort of the safety in it. Because for me, it's like, I would have like really big or really kind of out there fantasy base, but that's very different from what I would actually do, right? Totally. Because it's totally. cerebral. Mm-hmm. And, uh-huh. and in the moment to share it and to talk about it and to sort of mm-hmm. feed one another on that and to explore and play, because really that's what it is. It's communication and play. That actually made a big difference in the conversations and how we connect outside of the bedroom. Because just like you say, things outside of the bedroom filter into your sex when your sex filters into the rest of your life too. Totally, totally. Yeah, and there's a book called A Billion Wicked Thoughts that talks about how common it is for every human being to have fantasies about everything and all kinds of things that they actually wouldn't do in reality. Now, some of you listening might say, I don't have fantasy. Ew, yuck. Okay. I respect that. A lot of people do though, but we have a culture that's afraid to talk about it. So I love that you just said that. And, and yeah, it can, I love that too, that we are so vulnerable and open sexually, hopefully. Well, I think we, here's the thing energetically, whether we, we are closed off or not, we are energetically opening up our bodies, especially as women. Okay. Because a lot of times something's coming into us, which energetically outside is coming in. That's huge. And so it really is powerful. I want listeners, autistic women who are listening and men and whoever, okay, if this applies to you, fantastic. You get to choose what turned you on and what turned you off. And a big part of that gets to be consent, gets to be around consent, you know, being really clear about what you want. Fantasies may work for you, may not work for you. Toys may work for you, may not work work for you. Costumes may work for you, may may not. You may want to to dress up in furry fandom and explore that way. You might like whips and chains. You might like, you know, soft kink. You might like kink. You might like to have more people in the bedroom with you. You might like to be solo. Whatever floats your boat, great, but it's got to be consent. It's got to be, I think, legal. I will not, I think I know legal and, and you've got to feel safe and good about it, um, in your body. I really, I really can't stress that enough because I think, I think we just have gotten away as a society of that. It's okay for us to have these conversations and it's okay to us to, for us to explore what's going on in our bodies and what feels good. And then to ask for it right? Or ask to, and I say, ask for it from our partner who's safe. We're not asking for anything to happen to us. That's, that's not safe, but I'm just me. It's okay for us to ask for what we want, need and desire and for our partners to do the same. Right. Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. And, you know, when we're connecting with ourselves and identifying what our own personal wants, needs, and desires are, and then we're taking that and we're sharing it with our, our intimate partner. 
And we're asking them in reciprocity to share what their needs, wants, and desires are. It's in that communication. And, you know, as, as our women, as women, as our bodies are changing as you know, we're navigating the, the heat flashes, you know, the hot flashes yeah. that come on and, you know, mm-hmm. the freezing cold one second, you know, and the, I, I want to cry one minute and the next minute I could probably bite you because I'm just so mad yeah. and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and for the love of all things holy, please don't show me like, you know, a Hallmark ad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> And, and, and don't smack or put the toilet paper on backward because then you're just going to, oh. you know, that, that's just going to create a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. But in all of that, honestly, it's feeling a place where we can share what those changes are in our bodies, what those changes are, and maybe even the fears or the things that we are working through with the story that we're telling ourselves about what's happening with our bodies at a certain time. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, I got the, I got a Charlie horse. Or I got a cramp in my hip or, you know, my <laughs> back's hurting. Can we do this in a different position, please? Mm-hmm. You know, all of those things mm-hmm. and really laughing, mm-hmm. laughing together, mm-hmm. connecting in a way mm-hmm. where each partner feels seen, heard, understood and connected. Totally. Yeah, Absolutely. Candice, I love what you do in the world. I love how you do it and who you are. If you you guys are looking for additional information, if you are looking for therapy and you're looking for maybe groups or insights into Mm -hmm. sexual ruptures that may have happened Mm -hmm. in your life or in your relationship, if you are looking for really beautiful support, Candice Namaste Center for Healing You've got to check out Fabulously Candace podcast because it truly is the sexiest podcast about neurodivergence. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And she is just a beautiful human mm. who shares her heart, who shares her experiences, and who is helping people heal every day. Guys, thank you for being here today. Candace, thank you for being thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carol Jean. Thanks, everybody, too, for listening. We'll see you next week, guys. Take care. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late-identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me A Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.